Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, we're really coming to the end of this study. Uh, I've really enjoyed studying the Proverbs. It's been a great uh, series for my own personal edification. I hope you all have joined it as well. We have two more sermons. We have uh, today and next week, and then we head into Advent. The theme of our series has been a time for wisdom, and today's focus is a time for wisdom in our words. This is an incredibly important topic. As a matter of fact, it's so important that you could barely turn to any chapter in Proverbs and not run into verses dealing with the tongue. Because Proverbs is so filled with wisdom concerning our words, the church throughout history has been very sensitive to this, to this very issue. In the 6th century A.D., when monasteries were really important, there was a monk named Benedict. Uh, it's where we get the Benedictine rules. And there were a series of rules on how monks and monasteries were to operate. Now, this is an historical document. But over time, in order to emphasize certain elements of the rules of Benedict, they added some apocryphal sort of additions to try to drive home the point. Uh, see if you can decide uh, which, uh, the, which edition the apocryphal edition is. This is from chapter 61, and uh, it has to do with the reception of visiting monks. If any pilgrim monk comes from distant parts and wishes to be a guest in our monastery, if he will be content with the customs which he finds in this place, and he does not disturb the peace of the monastery, he shall be received for as long of a time as he wishes. But if he is found to be gossipy or divisive in the time of his sojourn as a guest, not only ought he not be joined to the body of the monastery, but also it shall be said to him honestly that he must depart. If he does not depart, let two stout monks in the name of God explain the matter to him more clearly. <laughs> Everything was true except for that last part. That's the apocryphal part. But it highlights the wisdom of Proverbs that we are to deal swiftly and strongly with sins of the tongue, as well as teach broadly the advantages of a holy mouth. This week, we're going to be focusing on the destructive power of the tongue. Next week, as we conclude our series, we'll be looking at the constructive power of the tongue. So this morning, let's all stand out of reverence for God and see what Proverbs has to say about the destructive power of the tongue. First of all, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. That's strong language. Six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, 
feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now go to Proverbs 11, verses 11 to 13. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Go now to Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Then go down to verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Then go to Proverbs 15, verse 1, verses 1 to 4. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out filing. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Go to Proverbs 16, 27 and 28. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 17, verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 18, verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 26, 18 to 20. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. For the lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. And then verse 28, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. You get the idea that like one out of every five or six verses in the whole book deals with the tongue. This is God's Word. It's inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant, and it is authoritative. God wants us to take seriously our speech. Let's pray. Father, there is not one of us in here, myself included, that does not sin daily with our tongues. So, Father, forgive us. And by your Spirit, would you impress upon us just how important this element of holiness truly is. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Go ahead and have a seat. So three kinds of wicked words we must avoid. First of all, avoid words that are powerfully destructive. Proverbs 11.11, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Talk about power, the power of words to overthrow a city. The power of words to create rioting, to create rebellion, to create insurrection. The power of words are, can be destructive. But how do we know which words are destructive? Well, by God's mercies, Proverbs tells us. Let's look at this real quickly. First of all, verse 12 of chapter 11. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. Belittling words are destructive words. What are belittling words? Well, words that degrade someone else. Words that demean someone else. Words that humiliate or shame or disgrace or dishonor other people. Those are belittling words, and they destroy people emotionally, and they harm people psychologically. We see what a good and loving and kind God we have by Him telling us how much He despises destructive words. Look at uh, chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Could anything be more graphic? Running somebody through with a sword. Rash, insensitive words. Thoughtless words that people speak inconsiderately. They're like sword thrusts. And we are to avoid them. Proverbs 15.4, perverseness in the tongue breaks the spirit. Perverse words are harsh words. Perverse words are hateful words. Perverse words destroy a person's sense of worth and value. Perverse words actually steal people's dignity from them. Proverbs 16, 27 and 28, a worthless man plots evil. To plot evil means to dig up dirt to intentionally harm someone. When have you been guilty of spreading a bad report about others? And it sets a forest ablaze. It is scorching. Just like James 5 says, the tongue is a world of evil set on fire by the flames of hell. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates its victims. When, when we deceive, we are hating people. The second part of verse 28 says a flattering mouth works ruin. Have you ever used flattery? Have you ever complimented somebody or affirmed somebody insincerely? 
God says you're setting that person up by spreading a net for their feet. Because you know why we use flattery? We use flattery actually to gain someone's good graces so that we could use and abuse them for our own selfish agenda. Men, do you ever do that in business? Well, women too, for that matter. Do you ever butter people up? And really, it's only for your own selfish agenda? God says those words are powerfully destructive. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue can murder, kill, and maim. You've heard of the old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Not true. Names can kill. Words can destroy. Researchers have put different people on brain scanners. People that come in with a broken leg or a broken arm or a broken collarbone or a separated shoulder. And whenever people are in pain, it sends certain waves and chemicals through the brain. And then they wired people up to a brain scanner and exposed them to all kinds of destructive speech. Speech that abused them. Speech that was negative. Speech that was belittling. And the same kind of chemicals and the same kind of brainwave activity occurred in the people who were belittled and abused as the people who had broken limbs. As a matter of fact, scientists were not able to discern in advance with knowing who was experiencing physical pain and who was experiencing pain because of disastrous, destructive words. Sticks and stones can break your bones and so can words break your soul. Avoid words that are powerfully destructive. Secondly, avoid words that are powerfully divisive. If we've learned anything over these past few years, we've learned about the divisive power of words. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 13. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Now, that word slander simply means to defame others, to discredit them, to malign them before others. Biblically, slander doesn't even have to be false. Biblical slander, you know, legal slander is you got to say something false. Biblical slander is it can even be true. But if you say it to malign somebody, you are guilty of the sin, biblically, of slander. It's the revealing of secrets that prejudices others against a certain individual. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Have you ever found yourself in a restaurant and all of a sudden you lower your voice? And you do that because you're actually about to 
talk about someone else? God says that's the kind of talk that separates and divides. Proverbs 18, verse 8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. There is something so broken in us that there's a part of us that actually delights in hearing gossip and slander. We love those juicy tidbits that tear someone else down. And God says, we need to repent of that kind of divisive speech. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but whoever repeats a matter, again, separates close friends. How many times have we contributed to a narrative that was really tearing up somebody's life? And see, even when a narrative is not true, if the narrative gains steam, it really doesn't matter. It ruins lives. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs anger. Our words can either lower the temperature in a room or raise the temperature in a room. And God calls us as Christians to avoid divisive, harsh, angry, angry words. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. A, a scoffer is anybody who is oppositional. Do you know people like that? No matter what you say, they're just going to say the opposite. That's a scoffer, and they tend to create division. They're contentious. They're argumentative. And if that's true of you, God says, repent. God wants to change the contentious into more agreeable people. You know, there's not even anything wrong with, with disagreeing as long as we disagree in a kind way that doesn't attack people. I'm just so discouraged about what I see in our culture, but particularly in the church, that People can't discuss things anymore without it getting personal. And it ends up being divisive. Proverbs 25, 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue brings forth angry looks. Backbiting is anything we say about another person when they're not around. Isn't it amazing how we tolerate these kinds of sins? And God says it divides the unity of the body of Christ. Proverbs 26, 18, Like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. He's talking about sarcasm. Biting sarcasm that stings creates division in your home, 
in your marriage, among your friends, with your children. Proverbs 26, 21, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man, woman, for kindling strife. Again, be aware when you have an argumentative spirit, a contentious spirit, a combative spirit. And it's almost like it's become acceptable in our country to be combative. Can I just tell you, it is never acceptable for a Christian to be combative. Never. We can disagree. We're not to be combative. The story is told of a young person that went uh, to his priest for confession. And when he told the priest his sin, he said that I have spoken badly and slanderously and maliciously about a person in my neighborhood. And he wouldn't know what he was supposed to do. So the priest said, I want you to take a feather and I want you to put it on the doorstep of every house in your neighborhood. The young man left and did that. And then he came back to the priest and said, now what do you want me to do? And the priest said, I want you to go back to all those doorsteps and pick up all the feathers and bring them back to me. And the young man said, well, Father, that's impossible. The wind will have blown all those feathers away by now. And the priest said, exactly. And your words, which you spoke, can never be retrieved. They're already out there doing the damage. Words matter. And once they're out, there are no bringing them back. And Proverbs continually reminds us to be restrained in the use of our tongues. Avoid words that are powerfully destructive. Avoid words that are powerfully divisive. And then lastly, avoid words that are powerfully offensive. I want you to think of cultural sins in our nation right now that you find powerfully offensive. Everybody got something you're thinking of? Maybe it's something Christians talk a lot about that is wrong with our nation. Something that you find powerfully offensive. Proverbs 6, 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, pride, it's hateful to God. And that pride of haughty eyes leads to haughty speech, boasting about yourself, or most often tearing down others so you put yourself in a better light. God finds that repulsive. God finds that offensive. God hates that. He goes on to say a lying tongue is another thing that God hates. 
exaggeration. It's not the truth. It's a lie. God hates it. Verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. Notice that the things that you and I were probably thinking of when I asked you to contemplate a cultural sin out there right now. Your sin that you had in mind probably didn't make the list. But what made the list are sins of speech that we engage in all the time and don't take seriously as a lot of these cultural sins that we're all wrapped around the axle about. Now, I'm not saying we ought not to be opposed to many cultural sins that are encroaching upon the church. But what God's Word says is He is seriously offended and hates the sins of the tongue like gossip, which most of us engage in constantly. Do we recognize what it means for God to say he hates those sins? Proverbs 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. That word abomination, that is strong. I want you to think about something that you would consider an abomination. Something that you would consider an atrocity. Something that you would consider despicable and offensive. You you got it in your mind? Let me give you one. Between 1941 and 1945, the Nazis under Adolf Hitler exterminated systematically six million Jews. Many of us know, of course, about the concentration camps where they built uh, these permanent structures that uh, released poison gas that asphyxiated hundreds of thousands of Jews. But do you know that they also organized riots with all kinds of harsh, hot speech that drummed up the people into a frenzy and then they went door to door looking for Jews and the angry mob drugged them out into the street and beat them to death? Do you know that the Nazis riled people up so that regular citizens would get out their guns and they would line up Jews and they would have mass shootings? You know about the gas chambers, but do you realize that the Germans also simply put hundreds of thousands of Jews in work camps 
and underfed and undernourished them so that they literally worked them to death. Do you realize that there weren't merely permanent structures in these concentration camps, but there were mobile gas units that the Nazis drove from town to town. And instead of hauling people off to various concentration camps, they just threw them into the truck and asphyxiated them with the poison gas and then threw them out. That is so offensive, right? It's an abomination. And perhaps you may think that wicked words don't even belong in the same sentence with the Nazis and their atrocities. But God would beg to disagree with you. False speech, belittling speech, Lies, exaggerations, they are as atrocious to God. They are things he hates as much as the worst abominations that were foisted upon humanity through all of history. And God is calling us as the church to repent. Because in this particular area, the church has become too much like the world. Demeaning, dishonoring, disrespecting. And God wants it not even to be named among his people. We are to deal swiftly and strongly with sins of speech. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that we have a way to deal with it. The reason why God speaks so forcefully against the sins of speech is that God is seeking to draw us to the cross. God is longing for us to see our need so that we would run to him, be forgiven, and cry out for change. That's why after a message that so strongly calls us to acknowledge our sins of speech, we come to the Lord's table. The night in which Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the remission of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you, and give thanks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these elements. We understand that they're not magic. We understand that they remain bread and the fruit of the vine. But Father, open our eyes to what you say in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, that what we engage in here is a mystery, that through the sacrament, as we come in repentance and faith, as we come acknowledging our sin, and our brokenness, 
and our need, that by your Holy Spirit you meet us in power. We experience your forgiveness in a fresh way and also your Spirit transforms us and conforms us more into the image of Jesus himself. And so, Father, we all come today confessing our sin, especially the sins of speech. God, probably even this morning already, we have sinned against others and against you with unrestrained lips. And so, Holy Spirit, come. Apply the blood of Christ to us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. This is not Oak Mountain's table. This is the Lord's table. And so, everyone here who has transferred their trust from their own efforts at building their own record of righteousness and has trusted in Christ's obedient life and his substitutionary death on the cross and has put their hope in the promise of grace that if we would trust in Christ, we would be cleansed, forgiven, and receive eternal life, you are welcome to come to this table. And if you have been exposed today, as I have, by Scripture exposing the sins of the tongue. This is a table for sinners. This is a table for repentant sinners who freely confess their sin that we might be changed by the Spirit of God. As the plates are passed, you'll notice there are two cups together. You just gently twist, they'll come apart. Please hold the elements until everyone's been served and we'll partake of the sacrament together. Again, it's called the sacrament of communion. It's not just communion with Christ. It's communion with one another that we celebrate, which makes our destructive words even more serious. Think about the things we need to confess as we partake of communion together. As the elements are being distributed, get real specific with the Lord. How have you belittled people in your network recently? How have you spoken rashly without thinking? Have you been insensitive or inconsiderate? If you have children, how have you said things that just sort of have cut them off at the knees? 
just tore their self-worth right out of them like sword thrusts. Have you been guilty of spreading a false report? Or have you been guilty of spreading a bad report? How about flattery in business or other arenas? Insincere compliments meant to put you in their good graces. How have husbands and wives maimed each other verbally? How have singles practiced backbiting behind somebody's back, of course? How have you influenced narratives about other people's lives? How have you failed to stop a false narrative? How have you agreed to listen to gossip and it tasted like delicious morsels going deep to your inner person? How have you been oppositional? How have you been judgmental in your speech about others? How have you produced strife that brought division How have you used biting sarcasm to cover up hatred? How have you been so critical of other areas of sin but have failed to see the offensive words from your own lips? I mean, can we be honest? Isn't this the sin of the church? Isn't this where we blow it? I don't see a lot of Christians going out there killing people with knives or guns. But I know I myself can be guilty of sword thrusts in other people or creating a narrative that maims others. Praise God for Jesus. His body was broken for us. Take and eat in remembrance of him. And then maybe, maybe you're so convicted right now that all you feel is guilt, shame, condemnation. There's no room for that. For the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 
drink in remembrance of him. Father, we confess our sin, we hope afresh in Jesus, and now as we depart, may we be mindful of the power of our words. May we avoid that which is destructive, and may we pursue and engage in that which is constructive. God, we pray that Oak Mountain would be a congregation that doesn't sin with our mouths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every uh, Communion Sunday, we take up a special offering. It's literally what the Bible calls the giving of alms. It's mercy uh, gifts. And on Communion Sundays, uh, if you're so led as you depart, There'll be people there that will receive your gift. This goes to people in our church, people in our community, people over the mountain. If you're so led, uh, go ahead and grant that gift. Let's all stand and hear our benediction, the promise of God's love and favor and power upon our lives through Christ Jesus. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always.